Let's open the Word of God this afternoon. First of all, we have three passages before us here. Genesis 2, the verses 15 to 17. So we read the verses 15 to 17 there, just after creation, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And then we turn to John 19. Where we'll read the verses 28 to 30. This is about Jesus as he's on the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Then we'll read also Philippians chapter 1. Paul writing from prison in Rome to the Philippians, knowing that being pretty sure that in the near future he would be sentenced and executed. And we read there verses 21 to 24 where he says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet which I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So far, our scripture readings. Now we'll read together Lord's Day 16. And this is still dealing then with the Apostles' Creed. Lord's Day 16. And there we confess the following from Holy Scripture. Why was it necessary for Christ to humble himself even unto death? Because of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. 
Why was he buried? His burial testified that he had really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? Through Christ's death, our old nature is crucified, put to death and buried with him so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer reign in us, but that we may offer ourselves to him as a sacrifice of thankfulness. Why is there added, he descended into hell? In my greatest sorrows and temptations, I may be assured and comforted that my Lord Jesus Christ, by his unspeakable anguish, pain, terror, and agony, which he endured throughout all his sufferings, but especially on the cross, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and boys and girls who belong to him, the difference between the thinking of the Church of Christ, of um, Christians, and the unbelieving world is steadily growing. The difference is growing wider and wider as fewer and fewer people want to be known as Christians, and we experience that in our society. One area in which that difference is becoming more and more apparent is the matter of death and dying. Without any faith in the supernatural, the spiritual world, death simply means the end. In fact, death is, seen as, is even seen as part of life here on earth. The candle goes out and that's it. There is nothing more. In fact, it's a natural part of biological evolution, it's said then. Everything has to die to make room for the next stage of life on earth. And then, with that kind of thinking, you also see that, sadly, death is seen as a real solution to certain problems such as the so-called problem of unwanted births. Babies are unwanted and therefore put to, put to death in the womb already. Or think of our euthanasia laws. At first there was a law that allowed a person to end their life if such a person was certain to die in the foreseeable future. And then it became Next stage, it became possible to end one's life simply if there was a chronic and if there was chronic and unbearable pain. And now, even though the law has been paused, it looks as if we're headed to a law which allows medically assistance in death, even if a person is completely healthy but depressed, struggling with mental issues. In our world, death is becoming the solution to the problem of any human suffering. Well, as Christians, we confess from Scripture a completely different view of death. And we'll pay attention to that this afternoon. And we'll focus on the first uh, three or four questions and answers here, but we'll, we'll mention all of them. We'll see what the Bible says about death 
And there's three things I want to pay attention to. First, the death of all people, all mankind. Secondly, the death of Christ. And thirdly, the death of the Christian. So first of all, the death of all people, the death of mankind. Congregation, the Bible is pretty clear about why there's death in the world, why people die. Death came into this world because of sin. It's a strange and unnatural element in God's creation. And that's why the theory of evolution cannot be reconciled with the Christian faith. As I mentioned, evolution teaches that death always is part of things, part of the way things evolve, a necessary part even. But we know that death came into this world because of man's fall into sin. And therefore, it's hurtful. It tears apart. It tears out of life, away from all the connections there are in life and in this world and that causes sorrow, pain, leaves scars behind. And that's why Job, though he wondered why he was still alive in all his sufferings, called death the king of terrors. Death is not natural and has come into this world because of sin. And sin is guilt before God. Sin requires just punishment. Our first parents were told that even before death and decay were in the world, as we read in Genesis 2, when you take the fruit of that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, you will surely die. There were maybe hundreds of trees there, but that one tree, they had to leave it alone. Otherwise, they would die. And then, tempted by the devil, who told them they would not die, they took an eight, and so death entered this world. And all their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, all the generations have to deal with death. If you rebel against God, strike him in the face, you can only count on punishment. Because sin has come into this world, we're all born in sin and therefore all worthy of eternal punishment. Death in every sense. And every death reminds us of that. That it was the original punishment for sin. And congregation, today death is, as it were, a bailiff. A bailiff. I don't know if you know what a bailiff is. Sometimes called a sheriff is a court official who is responsible for bringing prisoners before the judge, before the judgment seat. And that bailiff reminds you then that you have guilt before God. You have to come to before the judge, before the judgment seat. And if God, if God should mark all our iniquities, who could stand before his judgment seat? So many days and each of them with so many broken commandments, we are all guilty before God without exception, even when we come into this world already, original sin. And if our guilt has not been taken away by Jesus Christ, you realize, then we are doomed forever, pronounced guilty and worthy 
of eternal condemnation. And that's why every death has also been called, well, is a call to humble oneself and to repent. And when you hear, when you hear and see those, about those sudden deaths in the earthquake in Syria and Turkey, one minute, 42,000 now, 42,000 plus people were alive, and the next minute they died under the rubble. You hear about that, you see images of that, and it's a call to all of us to number our own days, to prepare ourselves to be brought before the judge of all. It's like if people who have committed a serious crime are all sitting together in the same cell, and when the bailiff comes for one after another, then the remaining people think, well, our turn is going to come. Our turn is coming soon. All people have committed the same crime against God, namely rebellion against God. All sin is rebellion against Him. And if people are called by the bailiff, death, and brought before the judge, you know that even though you're still alive here, and you see that, your turn will come too. And the bailiff, death, will also come to call you. So every death is a call to consider seriously, is my debt before God paid? Do I need to be afraid? Or have I given all my debts to Jesus? Has he taken them from me? Have I given them to him? Yes, congregation, that should cause us to be be serious, to be sober at every funeral too. Then we're confronted with it, with our own death too. Then we have to number our own days. To be there not only to support grieving relatives at a funeral, but also to number your own days, to think about your own death. And that's why the preacher says, Ecclesiastes 7, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. And that might sound strange, but it's better for everyone to go to a funeral than to go to a birthday party. And the preacher says, says that because at a, at a birthday you only think in terms of wishing someone a long and happy life. Like. But at a funeral, you're confronted with the sober reality that your days are numbered and you one day will also be called by the bailiff called death. One day... He will come to call you before the judge of all, to bring you before the judge of all. And then you realize that you need to have all your sins and shortcomings dealt with beforehand. You need Jesus Christ because only He can save you from your sins. Only He has paid for sin He alone can save you from condemnation at God's judgment seat. And he can do that because he, God's son in the flesh, also died. Died for sinners. And that brings us to the second part of the proclamation this afternoon, the death of Christ. Yes, congregation, Jesus also died. Just like all other people on earth. And you have to think about that. God's son... God's eternal Son became true mortal man among men. He was eternal 
God with the Father and the Spirit came into this world to die with the purpose to die. And his life as he experienced it too was a constant countdown to his death too. But even though he was tempted by the devil his whole life long he never fell. Not even for a moment in his thoughts. A sinful thought. An unloving thought. Never crossed his mind. Even when others around him misunderstood him. They mocked him. His own family. His disciples. Even when they hated him. No, his whole life long. Day after day. He bore the sin and guilt of the world in body and soul. He was burdened by the wrath of God against sin and the eternal punishment which all sin justly deserves. He took that on himself until he was crucified on Golgotha and suffered there in body and soul what we deserved in the place of eternal punishment, which is hell. We deserve that. But he went there, and then he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's hell. And then he gave up his spirit. He died. We read that in John. And he had to die, because everyone who has sin must die. And Jesus had sin, only it was not his own. It was the sin, the guilt of others. Those he was willing to die for, the Father gave him. But because he took our sins on himself, he had to die. But congregation, he didn't go to his death in defeat. No, just before he gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished. He finished the payment for the sins of his own. And so Jesus died as someone from whom the judge of mankind has no punishment at all to require anymore. When he was forsaken by God, he finished for us what he owed God. He descended into hell, and after that, he died. See, congregation, the order for all mankind after the fall is they live then they die, and then there's eternal punishment. That's that's the way it is. Live, die, eternal punishment. Because every one of themselves faces death as a guilty person. The bailiff death calls them and brings them before the judgment seat of God. It was different with the Lord Jesus. He had already endured the eternal punishment for sin in body and soul, hellish agony, and then he died But he died as the victor. He fully endured the eternal hellish punishment for sin while keeping his love for his father all the way through. And he finished it. He triumphed over Satan and sin, both of which he perfectly always resisted. And even in hell, he was obedient to his father. And he loved his father. And he finished it. All that, all the punishment there is in hell. 
And that's why his last cry from the cross was, it is finished. That was a cry of victory. And those last words, if you think about it, they are amazing. Because you'd think that someone who has suffered so intensely and for so many hours and is near death would only be able to just whisper something yet. Most likely, the people around him wouldn't be able to understand what he was saying anymore. Not the case with Jesus. Just before his death, he received a sponge yet with some vinegar, and he cried out in a loud voice, as we know from the gospel, he had been victorious, and that's how he faced death. As the one who is victorious, he himself was without any guilt at all, and he had borne the guilt of the world to the very end. All the eternal punishment we deserved. He, he carried it all right to the very end. In congregation, that's why the bailiff, death, could not hold on to him. Death could not hold him, had to let him go. After three days, death released him, and he rose from the dead. Peter talks about that at, at Pentecost, for instance. In Acts 2, Verse 24, God raised Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And this Jesus, that Jesus is now proclaimed to you. This Jesus was fulfilled everything needed so that through faith in him, you can be declared innocent before that judgment seat of God he now comes to you in the proclamation of the gospel and in the sacraments and he declares he has the full payment for your sins with him enough to pay for all your sins totally enough to pay in fact if you're afraid that it might not be enough for you he, he died and paid for the sins of the whole world many times over and therefore sufficient for Totally, all your sins, even the greatest one of them, enough, sufficient. He holds out to you the complete forgiveness of all your sins, full payment for all your guilt before God. Let me, let me stand up before that judgment seat in your place. He says, I'll go for you. I for you. Otherwise, you would suffer eternal condemnation for all your sins and your sinful nature. You'd be sentenced to eternal punishment of body and soul. Brothers and sisters, young people, boys and girls, you see how desperately necessary it is to accept and to keep accepting that offer of your Savior in faith. And it's actually the Holy Spirit who needs to bring you to that then, via the gospel, to accept. Don't think that anyone will accept that of themselves. Because we don't like to think about the brutal reality of death and being brought before God's judgment seat because of our sins. We don't like that. We have the inclination to want to minimize our sins and sinfulness. We compare ourselves to others who we figure are a lot more sinful and guilty of sin than we ourselves are, so why should I worry? 
And we tend to point out to ourselves that our sins were actually brought about by others. They're not even my fault. That person did that to me, and that's why I did that. Or that circumstance was so difficult that I couldn't step out of it, and I had to sin. And then we say, too, oh, I'm, I know I'm sinful, but everybody's sinful, right? We love to think along those lines, actually, if you think about it. We want to, until the Holy Spirit, via the gospel, confronts us with the truth about ourselves, and we see ourselves as we really are. People like to think there's good in people of themselves, but there isn't in ourselves. We need to see ourselves as we really are, Guilty before God. And then we acknowledge that if God should mark our sins, even one sin we committed, even just our original sin, none of us would be able to stand. Again, only the Holy Spirit through the the gospel, via the proclamation of the gospel, is able to bring us to accept Jesus' payment for sins. We can't imagine in ourselves either that Jesus would hold out that total forgiveness of all your sins for free without you or I having to do anything to make us worthy of it. We're inclined to think that we, we need to do something to deserve that forgiveness which Jesus holds out to us. Something to make us worthy of that gift until the Holy Spirit overcomes our inclination and convinces us that all we can and need to do is accept, accept what Jesus has done for us. Believe it when he says it. Until we embrace Jesus as our only hope and salvation. As he says through the prophet Isaiah, That that comes to mind here. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. We always think we have to pay something. But the gospel says it's free. We need to hear that again and again, brothers and sisters. So we take what Jesus holds out every day again in his word. And then you see, too, that the Church of Christ has thousands of times more to offer you than the world has. And that brings us to the last part of the sermon this afternoon, the death of the Christian. This congregation, the Church of Christ, has a lot more to offer than the world does with all its attractions and pleasantries. And that's because the death of every believer, every believer has been lifted up to a whole different level in Christ. It's true. A true Christian will, must also die. Whoever sins shall die. That remains in in effect. The death of a believer is and remains a reminder of sin. That death came into the world because of sin. And that's painful. It brings sorrow. Especially, too, hey, when a young person 
who has so much to live yet is taken from this life. A death touches so many lives, especially those who are close to the deceased. A grieving process can take a lot of time, never really ends when it comes down to it. There is sorrow that remains. But there's also that other side. Death isn't only the bailiff who comes to take you before God's judgment seat, where he or she may have where a believer may appear without, without terror, by the way, because of Christ. No, Jesus has taken death into his service. And it's his servant, too. Death is a servant of King Jesus. A bailiff, as bailiff, he takes, death takes unbelievers before God's judgment seat. But now, as Jesus' servant... He takes believers into the royal palace, we could say. He's sent out as a servant. Death is sent out by the Lord Jesus as a servant who in fact takes believers home to the Father's house with the many rooms which Jesus has prepared for them, John 14. And death is then sent out when the Lord decides it's time for the believer to come home to the place that's truly home to every believer, more home than this earth, this life, to be here, more home than our houses here, to the place that's truly home because we're actually all strangers and sojourners on the earth, aren't we? That's what we are in ourselves because of faith, because we belong to Jesus. So yes, believers still die too. But the question is, would any true believer really want to stay here forever? On the one hand, it's true. We receive life as a gift from God, and there's a lot of things in life we can enjoy and be thankful to, to God for. But is that all believers hanker for when it comes down to it? To enjoy this life? Is that your whole purpose here? No. Congregation, as long as we're in this life, we continue to sin, to struggle with sin. We keep that sinful nature of ours. And that causes a lot of brokenness and grief and worry in this life. And as long as we're here in this life, Life, our relationship with the Lord remains defective too, imperfect. It always remains at a, at a distance, it's not full. And as long as we're in this life, we keep seeing things that, that grieve us too as Christians. We see so much offense against the Lord and the world around us. We see so much suffering, for instance, because of war or an earthquake and, and so on. Would you want this situation to go on forever here? Isn't there in every believer's heart a desire for something better, congregation? A homesickness for the Father's house? As with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1 where he talks about his own impending death and he says, for me to die is gain. He had that in his heart. Or have we lost that because of all the prosperity and the good things we enjoy now? 
because of our self-centeredness and complacency that we've lost the desire or much of the desire for what Jesus has prepared for us. That desire needs to be in us, congregation. And congregation, death also has another function yet. Death puts an end to sin, it says in the catechism. Puts an end to sin, also our sinful nature. Death is then, we could call death not only the bailiff and the servant of the king, we can also call death the surgeon, a surgeon sent by the Lord and Savior to remove our sinful nature. And that can never fully happen while we're in this life. All grace and fighting against sin is not going to get rid of our sinful nature. That sinful nature which is the source of sin and evil in all believers too. But Jesus has also made death into a surgeon for his people. A surgeon who cuts out that sinful nature which is the source of sin and evil in believers too and dispose of it. He destroys it completely. And so when believers die, the source of sin in them is also gone for good. Then there's only sinlessness and perfection on the other side. Like, like that passage through the Jordan I mentioned this morning, or, or through the Red Sea in the book of Exodus. That sea was like that sea was the death of, of Pharaoh and his men but it meant life for the Israelites. For those who don't have Jesus, death is an entrance into eternal darkness. But for those who love Jesus Christ, it's a way into eternal life, passage into eternal life. And that's what we confess in Lord's Day 16. Our death is not a, a payment for our sins, but it puts an end to sin and is an entrance into eternal life. At the moment of death then, our soul is with the Lord in His glory. We confess that later on in the Catechism too, immediately. And as to the body, the Bible in some places compares the death of our bodies to falling asleep. And that points to the temporariness of our physical death. The bodies of all who die in the Lord will be raised again, <clears throat> glorified, immortal. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls the burial of the body of believers like sowing a seed in the earth, a seed that will become a brand new plant. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. In other words, a body full of the Spirit. What an amazing comfort, congregation, also for the body. We grieve, we can grieve at a graveside. But not as others do who have no hope. As the Apostle writes, 1 Thessalonians, Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so through Jesus God will on the last day bring with him 
those who have fallen asleep. That's what the apostle writes there. And that comfort of the resurrection of the body is something that's important to confess at every funeral and every graveside too. We bury the bodies of those who die in the hope of the resurrection. We put them in the ground in the hope of the resurrection. And by the way, that's also why, why we don't like cremation either. We bury. Jesus was buried and so by his resurrection he transformed the grave of every believer who has died into a kind of a waiting room, you could say. The grave is a, a waiting room for even though our souls are immediately with Christ, our head, our bodies still have to wait until the last day. And then, on that day, our bodies will be reunited with our souls and made like Christ's glorious body, the body he ascended into heaven with, in victory. And when that day comes, the bailiff will be shut out forever. And the servant of the king will no longer be needed and neither the surgeon will be needed anymore. In fact, death itself will die and there will only be perfect life with Jesus Christ forever because of what he did. And that's something to dream about, congregation. Amen.